welcome to episode four of Femme de la Creme, where we talk to inspiring women at the top of their fields about all things ranging from female empowerment to body positivity. I'm so excited to share this episode with you and this fascinating conversation with one of the most inspirational and fascinating women in my life. I've never spoken about it publicly before, but I have struggled with body image uh, issues and an eating disorder for around 12 years now. I developed it um, straight out of high school and I've struggled with my weight ever since. And this woman came into my life and has changed everything. She is a transformational wellness coach, a keynote speaker, author, EFT trainer, and I would say an expert in intuitive eating, disordered eating, and healing the relationship with yourself in order to feel lighter. Without further ado, I am so honored to introduce you to Miss Sally Tebow. Hi, Sally. Hi, Cassidy. Hello. Now, we are very familiar with each other. I have been working with you as my wellness coach and among many other things, you've helped me with coaching for years now. Um, and we've known each other since I was very small. Is that right? <laughs> yes. Known you since you were in grade two, I think, Cassidy. Yes, that is right. I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but I'm sure I've terrorised your house many times. <laughs> uh, my great memories of you and my daughter, Alyssa, are the Spice Girls dancing in the living room. And really nothing much has changed. You still no. sing and dance. We could see the talent way back then. <laughs> that's true. That's true. We did have a Spice Girls Club. Uh, I think yes, we should bring it back, did. Maggie. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we first met, though I was very young, I do remember my mum used to attend your aerobics classes and they were the thing, the place to be where we were on the Gold Coast. They were absolutely packed. And so my earliest memories of you were you being the picture of health, the, the perfect body and like you had everything under control, body eating, everything. It was like you inspired all the women around you. And then it's so interesting that now you've gotten into this line of work that's about intuitive eating and tapping and dealing with people like myself who have eating and body issues. Um, just wondering if you could share with us a little bit about your journey on what brought you to this work and where you are today. Yeah, thanks, Cassidy. Yeah, it's funny you say, you know, I remember you as being having it all together and I'm, I'm trying to stop myself from laughing because, you know, it's amazing how it looks. I had um, a very um, uh, disordered way of eating uh, most mm. of my life. Started from when I was about 15, which, of course, that's when many girls start to take on disordered eating. I, um, I had been very sporty as a child. And um, as a teenager, I started to put on weight and it was comments that were made to me. Oh, you, you can see that you're getting a bit hippie or, oh, you've got mm. legs like the rest of the family. And, I was and so I began this really disordered way of eating. Now, I began in the fitness industry back in sort of, you know, um, late 1970s when it was really big deal and we had lycra leotards and the music was loud and I just loved it. But... Really, my driving passion, when I, I'm truly honest with myself, was that I taught four aerobic classes a day mm. and ran, still ran up to six kilometres a day because I was terrified of putting on weight. Really? And uh, 
I lived on rice crackers, cottage, you know, low-fat cottage cheese. We took the skin off everything. And everything was, was this huge competition about um, how we looked and what we weighed. And, and really and honestly, as much as I loved the industry, loved the fitness industry, absolutely loved what I did, it was all about my body and my body image. And, yes, I looked the part, but I had a very fractured relationship with food. And where, as, as I got older and had children, I, my key element, the thing that really sort of drove me to heal my own relationship with food and me was my daughter's. I didn't want them growing up the same way. I didn't want them to grow up with a very disordered way and thinking that being thin was the way that to happiness and and if you were thin you were you were um, you were desirable and people liked you and I just I just wanted all that to stop. Hmm, it's a fascinating journey because, like you said, I definitely would never have guessed. We have spoken about that before, um, and it was a huge shock to me to find out that you were so at war with yourself behind the scenes. And I definitely think that I, myself being a dance and fitness instructor now, I know that for me, there's always that part in your mind that walking into a dance class or the fitness studio, you feel like you have to fit a certain mould to be there. Is that how you felt when you were teaching? Oh, it was just absolutely. And, and you know, because I'm short, I'm only five foot one, and most of my um, counterpart uh, instructors are all tall and had long legs, and I always felt I wasn't good enough. So I thought if I'm thin enough and I work harder at everything, then I'll be as good as them. But I, you know, I never felt as good as them. I never felt that I had the look, you know. And in 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 those days, it was very much we had, you know, kind of lycra leotards and and you know, really high waist, you know, that we pulled the the sides up really so you had long, long legs. And it's really difficult not to have a body issue when you're standing in front of. 30 people every day in lycra leotards. <laughs> you, you just know that you don't have the look. So, you know, I would spend hours, um, as I said, four, day, four classes a day. I mean, and and then kind of, you know, I, I was just so pedantic and religious about my food, you know. And back in those days, it was no fat. And, and we really challenged ourselves. It was like, what did you mm. eat today? And what did you eat today? And oh, did you have that? And we were so focused on, and it wasn't health. That was the key. It was, wasn't mm. about health. It was about dieting. And um, it, it just became to the point where I thought, I can't, I can't do this anymore. It's, it's, I was losing. When I think back now and think mm. how many hours in my day I wasted on worrying about how thin I was. I mean, I remember the day I got married and I, I was so determined to 45 kilos the day I was married. I was so determined. And I was 47 kilos. And I thought, oh, God, I failed. I mean, I still remember that day thinking, oh, God, if I'd just been two kilos lighter. I mean, I look back now and think, 47 kilos. Good God, <laughs> blown me over by the fast north wind, you know, like the like, good witch. It was, just, it was nothing of me. And it just wasn't a healthy relationship. And, and because of that, my relationship with myself and others was impacted. Oh, I can imagine. Absolutely. And it's funny, I I can totally relate to with your wedding, two kilos. Like I'm mm. sure you were in absolutely tiny at the time. And I know that not only every performance I've done, but every single photo that I look back on in years, I can tell you how I felt about my body that day. And it's always completely wrong, isn't it? We're never... Absolutely. We never see what we, we think everyone else sees. I mean, I look back on those days when I thought, oh, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not the weight. And I, 
I remember, as you would too, you go back and look, I, think, I thought I was fat, for goodness sake, what was I? And we get this really, it's called this body dysmorphia, we don't see mm. what others see. I can remember people saying to me, oh, my mother in particular, say, you're very thin, and I go, oh, gosh, no, mum, look at this, you know, I just need to get rid of this, and, and you know, what she was seeing and what I was seeing were two entirely different things, and I know at one stage they were very worried about me having an eating disorder. Um, so mine yes. was bulimia, and and that that took me a long time. I, as I said before, it really the turning point was was I just didn't want to pass this on to my children, that my girls in particular. I didn't want them living this, that life of of thinking everything was around your weight. It's, it's just it's just so far removed from actually what anybody wants. It's really women. We do it to it ourselves, yes. because most men go. Oh, I no, you. Oh, have you put on weight. <laughs> Most men don't even <laughs> care. <laughs> yeah, we're and we're the ones that judge ourselves, and we're the ones that judge other women. Absolutely, Literally. it's it's so true. That's where a lot of my, I guess, past trauma comes from: is comments from other women, not comments from other men. Yeah, yeah, and and this competition we have as women, um, you know, needs to stop, and we. Because we we just we're so judgmental of ourselves. That's the problem. We judge ourselves, and so in turn to sort of push away that pain of judging ourselves, we judge others. You know, I know I, you still see people. Sometimes you'll catch people looking at someone who's a bit overweight in a coffee shop, and you'll catch people with kind of a bit of a, mm, you know, should you mm-hmm. be having that? You know, like it's that. It's just that that sort of those darts of judgment that can really hurt somebody because that person knows you're judging them. They can see the look. Absolutely. And we discussed something recently that this kind of touches on, which is people who are overweight, that doesn't mean that they're necessarily happy being that way. Um, And it shows a lot about a person when they look at another person and judge them and think that they enjoy being that size and go, oh, what a slob, what a, you know. And, And people don't really understand what people go through because I know myself Sure, it looks like I'm happy and I'm confident, but inside my head, 24 hours a day, there is a lot of pain. And and there are people who are much larger than I. They would love to be thin, but it's a real battle. So I'm intrigued to know what was it that helped you come out of this thinking? Was it intuitive eating? Oh, absolutely. And and in my new book that I've written, I talk about this question my husband asked me. And he, my, I, you know, how the universe conspires to make you change. I happen to marry somebody who's super thin, uh, never had a weight issue, eats whatever he yeah. likes. So not fair, right? It's like, <laughs> so not fair. And um, and he was a great one. He's French, French Canadian, and so he loves things with butter and cream and mm-hmm. pastas and and bacon and and his favourite meal used to be. We lived in Canada for a period of time. Was a prime rib of beef with all the gravy, you have to have all the homemade, you know, the gravy from the meat. And then a baked potato that you cut in quarters, you put butter on top, wait for the butter to melt, then you put sour cream on top, lots of it, and then chives and bacon bits. You know, good heavens, I don't know where they had to make those bacon bits because they weren't real anyway. But anyway, but we go out for dinner and I would have, oh, no, thank you, I'll just have a grilled fish with some broccoli or zucchini. Oh, no butter, just steamed thank you very much you know and, yes. and you know when you're kind of in that frame of mind where you where you're eating healthy you get kind of very supercilious very kind of uh, you know thinking you're you're rather you know, a superior because you're eating mm-hmm. it 
Anyway, one night he said to me, we'd had the normal meal, and he said, you want some sour cream on your broccoli? And I went, no. And he said, he, he said why? I said, oh, for God's sake, you know, roll my eyes. Because it, um, it's fattening. And he reached, he got a teaspoon out and he reached in with a teaspoon into the, into the tub of sour cream and held it up and said, how could a teaspoon of sour cream put on a pound of weight? Wow. And it was that defining moment because I went, first of all, I went, oh, as if you'd know, you know, because you don't want to be proven wrong, especially with something I was an expert in apparently. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it was, that, it, was, it was one of those moments that, you know, I think back on it now, it's like the curtains parted, the light came on, the angels started singing and it was like, that's right. Yeah. He's right. I had become so disordered in my eating, I thought everything I ate put on weight. Of course it did because that's what I believed. And that's when I started, I think I was reading a book by Louise Hay at the time, back in the days when that was sort of, you know, you can heal your life. It was one of the first Love books out about, book. yeah, affirmations and changing the way you think. And if I thought, well, if, it, if she can cure cancer, maybe I could cure this issue I have around food. And so I had I got some old business cards out of the jury uh, drawer at his office and wrote on the back, I now allow myself to eat anything I want. What does my body really need? And I wrote them on these cards and I put them everywhere. I put them in my purse. I stuck them on the inside of the shower. So I could say them in the shower. I put them on the dashboard of the car. And I say about 20 or 30 times a day, I now allow myself to eat anything I want. What does my body really want? I now allow myself to eat anything I want. What does my body really need? I just said it. And after about six weeks... I started to notice a difference. I started to notice that I actually could feel what I really wanted. I was really connecting to my body. I was getting out of my head mm-hmm. because my head had all the script in it, fat grams, calories, you know, now we call them macros, um, you know, all those things that you shouldn't eat. All the rules were in my head. They were in my body. And what, I, and what dieters do is, is disconnect your head and your body. That's how we do mm-hmm. it because – you have to eat some pretty awful food if you're on a diet. You have to put yourself through starvation if you're on a diet. Yes. The only way you can cope is to disconnect the head from the body and mm. totally deny what it is you really need. And it was that process. So that was way back in the 80s. And it, it was really the beginning for me um, of changing the way I ate. It took a little while, took a long time before, and we now know we're going to talk about it in a minute, we had, I had EFT, tapping, but it took a long time for me to change that way of thinking to become somebody now I say can eat anything they want and become quite comfortable with it. But it really is about giving yourself permission to truly begin to listen to your body. And those who struggle with weight and body image are so caught up in the good and the bad, what I should and shouldn't be doing. It's just this script that runs in our heads. And when yeah. I'm working with people now, that's the hardest thing for them to do. So let go of the rules and get really in tune with your body. It's absolutely that good and bad thinking, like this food is good food, bad food. That's one of the hardest things for me to unlearn because I know that for me, I always had, I would say, issues with body dysmorphia from dancing. Um, So when I was younger, I always thought I was a lot larger than I was. So looking back at photos of myself in school, I was like, oh, my gosh. I was not big at all, but people would refer to me as the big girl, but that was just because I was tall. I misconstrued it. However, the first time I actually tried to diet was um, I was doing my first professional performing job outside of school and and I went and signed up for Weight Watchers and they said to um, me, oh, 
you've only got five kilos to be able to lose and you would be underweight. And I was like, yeah, 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 I'll only lose five kilos. And so they still let me sign up. And, you know, I, I was fit and healthy for a normal girl, but for a dancer, I yes. still definitely could have lost that five kilos to be a dancer, as we say. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, I um, had never controlled my eating before. I didn't necessarily eat super healthy. I ate healthy with my family, but I did snack a lot, but I danced a lot as well. So it sort of balanced out. Then with going into Weight Watchers is the first time I adopted a diet mentality um, and I was planning out my foods and I was eating foods I liked, but it was all counting calories, counting points, blah, blah, blah. And it became a little bit too much for me as a, I think it was a 17 year old girl. Um, I would just turned 18. I was like trying to make it work and then it all just became a bit too hard. And I lost, um, two and a half kilos very quickly. And then I gained, I think it was 15 kilos in a matter mm-hmm. of a couple of months, you know, mm-hmm. so, and then ever since then has been when I have struggled. And I've only just since working with you come to understand that that is actually something in your animal brain. Um, could you explain a little bit more about why dieting does not work um, mm-hmm. and what it does to the brain that actually makes not everyone, but a lot of people crazy around food? Oh, absolutely. And it all comes down to restriction. You know, um, Albert Einstein's theory of relativity is for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And I often say he doesn't, didn't widen that term of reference enough to say for every diet, there's an equal and opposite binge just waiting to happen. You mm-hmm. can't stay in restriction. Simply impossible. Our brains are, are wired to think negative. Mm. unfortunately. We think negatively. And very difficult for us to think opposite. So we have about 30,000 or more thoughts per day. Um, of that, 95% are exactly the same thoughts you had yesterday. And of that, 80%, 80 to 85% are actually negative. So mm. the brain, uh, negative thoughts are easier. It takes less energy for the brain to think negatively than it does to think positively. Hmm. So when it comes to restriction, what you're doing is telling your brain, I'm not good enough. My body's not good enough. So this is negative thought processes happening all the time. You place restriction on top of all of that. There's, it's impossible to stick with. You, you just can't. We're not designed to do that. You know, for every op- diet, there's an equal and opposite binge waiting to happen. Studies out of Harvard University, it was a great study out of Harvard University that showed over 95% of people, might have been a little bit higher, might have been 97%, 98% of people who diet will gain the weight back within a year, usually more. Mm. So you just can't stay with that restriction model. And, And what happens in the body when you restrict, and it's how the prisoners of war were able to survive in the concentration camps. So when you restrict food, what happens is that your mitochondria in the in the muscles, our metabolism slows down. So mm-hmm. if you eating restrictively and it slows down, it's doing that for survival. That's how the prisoners of war were able to survive for so long on very little food. So every time you diet, you're slowing your metabolism. So when you can't stand it anymore, when you think this is not working, my brain's going, I'm no good, I'm no good anyway, I can never stick to a diet, there's nothing, the chatting going on, and you start eating, 
your metabolism slowed down, it's going to hold on to the food because your, your body's saying she might do this again. We mm. got to hang on to all this food in case she does this again. So you come off a diet, you start to eat like a normal person. And how many times have you said, it feels like everything I eat puts on weight? Mm. That's the way the body works. It's working in survival. So by letting go of that diet mentality, retraining your body to eat, allow yourself to eat anything you want with no restriction starts to make the chemical changes in the brain that mm. don't want you reaching for foods after you're full. Right. Because, you know, what's really interesting about food is it's one of the only things that we have to have. We have mm. to have food. Yes. And for people who are dieting, it becomes almost like, uh, like an, uh, the way an alcoholic works. Mm-hmm. You can't quit cold turkey. doesn't work like that. That's, yeah. and, and so as a you diet, you're, tr- you're literally trying to quit food called turkey you're going to want more that's just the way it is so that whole thing about restriction is the worst thing we can do to ourselves and especially for anybody that has any body image dancers as you know you know I have a daughter who's a dancer too and and that industry is so hard on girls who aren't this naturally this stick figure thin because they naturally like them many of them yeah um but for the girls who are normal body weight and shape that's, that's a very difficult industry to be in. It's constantly, you're constantly being reinforced by that all the time. So you, where we place ourselves is that negative feedback coming about, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, I'll have to restrict food, and it just, it just builds on itself all the time. Yeah, it really does. I mean, you know, my experience is it's almost daily that I'll have strangers come up to me and feel they can comment on my body and in my line of work. It's just open for discussion every day, like, you put up a photo and you're going to get comments about your body. So, unfortunately, social media doesn't help. Um, yeah. But we could talk but about that for hours. <laughs> yeah. But but interestingly enough, we are the first. So, the, the turn of the 20th century, the early 1900s, mm. uh, back to the, it was actually considered people, who, women who were over, overweight were actually considered far more sexually um, attractive. Mm. Far more sexually attractive to the overweight because if you were thin, it meant you were poor. Yeah. So it wasn't until the change that happened in the 1920s. So mm. they went, we went through a Great Depression, the World Wars, and it wasn't until then that, 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 that it began to look like, you know, the flappers and the, and the tight little skirts and tight little um, clothing. There was only then that thinness was attractive. But if you go back and look in the 1400s, 1500s, 1600s, all the women, the wealthy women, were buxom, big women. That was what was considered sexually attractive. That was what was considered to be intelligent because usually they were not working in the fields. So it's only this sort of since the turn of you know, the, the, the century, and I'm talking <laughs> centuries, I'm talking about the 1900s, that this became a thing. Um, but even into the 1940s, you, and 50s, you look at Marilyn Monroe, you know, that voluptuous woman mm. was considered attractive. So once again in the 60s, it started again. A woman called Jeannie Shrimpton showed up at the Melbourne Cup with a miniskirt and there it started all over again. So it, it flows and ebbs and ties and we, and we have bought into this whole business that thinness equates, equates to healthiness and that doesn't, just that's not the truth. It's simply not the truth. Absolutely. And, and I think 
That's definitely a misconception because a lot of the people that I know that are thin are not necessarily doing it in a healthy way. And I know a lot of the way times that I've been very thin, um, I've not been doing healthy things either. I've done everything you can do. I've done diet pills, all that sort of stuff. I've done whatever I can to control my weight. Um, But it always comes back. Like you said, there's always an opposite and equal binge and a blowback. Yeah. But I would like to introduce everyone a little bit into one of the methods that you use um, to help with the cravings. When I'm getting an urge to binge or I'm um, struggling to deal with my emotions, you've taught me a fantastic tool called tapping or EFT. Could you let people know a little bit about how EFT works, especially with binging? Yes, absolutely. Well, EFT, or emotional freedom techniques, we often call it tapping, um, is a blend between cognitive behavioural therapy talk therapy and acupressure acupuncture Mm -hmm. so you say how you're feeling while tapping on the meridian points around the body and as you're tapping what you're doing is lowering cortisol levels Mm -hmm. so people who binge eat binge eat for a reason to stuff down a pain try to overcome anxiety um, feelings of of uh, not being happy unworthiness that's why we choose food food's a comfort and food should be comfortable. It should be joyful and comfortable. But we get this swayed thing about food. And for many of us, some people choose cigarettes, some choose alcohol, some take drugs, some eat food. Same thing. So what we reach for is something that's going to take away that feeling of pain, anxiety for a moment. When we tap using emotional freedom technique and we're saying how we're feeling, MRI imaging has shown that it actually uh, impacts on a certain part of the brain and calms the central nervous system. So it takes the stress away. So simply when you take the anxiety away by using tapping, I'm anxi- I feel anxious, I'm feeling stressed, I'm hurt, whatever that feeling is, you're tapping while you're saying it, the cortisol levels are dropping so you're able to think more clearly. Yes. You're not reaching for something to to calm that pain like that. And that's what we're doing when, when we're binge eat. We're reaching for something to stuff down that emotion. And there's certain types of food that we reach for. You know, if we're, we're feeling um, uh, angry and we can't speak, um, we can't speak our truth, we often reach for crunchy foods like crisps and chips and crackers. We want crunchy foods. If we're feeling like, oh, life is just so hard, I'm just, I'm, you know, I just want someone to love me, We'll often reach for for things like creamy chocolates, chocolate with cream in the middle of it, because that just calms again that feeling of, you know, of nobody likes me. This food is really calming and soothing to me. Bread, we often reach for bread when it's all too hard. We we reach for bread when it's like, I just want to go back to simpler times, because mum used to make, you know, pastas, any of those things, rice even. It was reminding you of much simpler times. And, tr- and cheese, interestingly enough, has an amino acid in it called tryptophan, and what it does is it helps you feel better. So it has wow. a calming, a calming me- method on the brain, and that creaminess raises the endorphin. So people who reach for cheese and crackers a lot, like they'll often sit down and have cre- cheese and crackers, it's that trying to feel better. Like I'm so I've had a really bad day, but I'm crunching into this cracker and I'm having the cheese, which is lifting my endorphins, and oh, all of a sudden I feel better. The only problem is oftentimes you don't feel better till the whole lot of the brie wheel has gone and then you go, how did that happen? Absolutely. 
And you can be like me who does it all the time and then you get to the end of it and you go, and I'm allergic to lactose. (laughs) (laughs) Now, see, here's, here's the interesting thing. What you just said is really interesting because when your anxiety levels are high, your stress levels are high, you don't think clearly. So the blood flow actually leaves the frontal lobes of the brain to go to the arms and the legs. To take us back to the claw and fang jungle days when you were stressed, you needed to do something, flight, fight or freeze. Now, we don't do that anymore. So we get stressed and we just sit with it. So, But the cortisol's pumping, the adrenaline's pumping, the blood flow's leaving the frontal lobes, going to the arms and the legs. We just don't think clearly. So we're reaching for food and then you get to the end and go, oh, I'm allergic to that. <laughs> but at the meantime, it's a little bit like, you know, it's a little, it's a little like, uh, um, you know, it, we're, we're feeding that which makes us feel better even though we know it's going to make us feel worse in the end. But for that moment, we're looking for something to calm the pain, ease the stress. And that's where tapping creates the disruptor, calling it this disruptor. So when you've got those sort of, negative thoughts that keep going, I'm fat, I'm fat, I'm no good, I'm never good, I'm never, blah, 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 blah. That goes on all day. When you tap and you talk about that, you're creating the disruptor because the cortisol level's dropping and you get a different, you go, oh, oh, well, hold on, I'm not feeling so stressed now. And we always try and get to the root cause, like the people, words, events of your past that are causing you to be triggered. And when you understand that, you can eat food and enjoy it like everybody else does. But if you, if you live in that restriction, if you're stressed and you're eating that food, taking away that food is not going to solve the issue. It's Absolutely not. As you know, you and I talk about this all the time. I am so against dieting, any form of restriction, because all it does is once again set up that you're not good enough. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and you're always failing. It always hurts so much more when you in quotes, fail. Um, And intuitive eating does not mean you're not eating healthy. It just means that nothing's off limits. Off limits, Um, And we definitely often talk about that, which we'll we'll get to soon, about all these misconceptions. Um, However, I do have to personally attest that your tapping methods have helped me tremendously because I am someone who always keeps everything inside and I'm always a strong one and, you know, and, and people who don't have disordered eating problems don't understand that um, there's just this intensity in your head. There's these voices in your head and they start quiet, they get louder and louder and that there's that intensity that even when you know you don't want to, grub food or you know it'd be like someone who doesn't want to have a cigarette you end up just being like god I just don't want to hear this feel this attention anymore and you do it just to relieve that pressure and tapping really does save you from that and I found it's worked for me in performance anxiety as well it's been life-changing so I thank you very much Oh, you're welcome. I mean, it makes the whole intuitive eating process so much easier. You know, it doesn't take the the months it took me to get it by saying things over and over again, which we now know doesn't work anyway. Mm. But it just, the tapping just puts it all literally on steroids. It hyperspeeds everything. And the beautiful thing about EFT, you just do it. Like you don't need to um, go anywhere. You just at your fingertips, you can do it by yourself. And that's what I love because I think, um, that's one of the things that people who have disordered eating or, or issues around body shape, they're already feeling disempowered. So if you've got a tool that makes you feel empowered to change, whether that's performance anxiety, stress, any food issues, 
it's like, oh, I can solve this. It gives you one more tool in your toolbox to say, I can heal myself. And that's just so empowering. Absolutely. And it's funny that you mention feeling empowered because I find the hardest thing for me in my struggles with my body is the shame of people thinking that you're lazy and and someone for me who's a perfectionist and you know I'm such a diligent hard worker and I just can't seem to get myself right when it comes to my body you know it's always been a big source of strength for me and people always say to me oh Cass why don't you just lose weight like why don't you just why don't you just stop eating those foods, blah, blah, blah. What would you say to someone who's never experienced disordered eating about, um, I guess, what people who do have disordered eating go through? Is there anything that you would say to combat someone who said, well, why don't they just stop those, like, cold turkey? Yeah, you know, look, the problem is that the people who have suffered disordered eating, they can't stop eating food. Yeah. You, you can't stop eating food, you know, um, <laughs> It's around us all the time. Mm. And when you make comments to somebody who's really struggling with this issue, all you're doing is adding to the shame. You're adding to the problem. And I know, you know, as a parent, that can be sometimes really difficult because I have a, a son who's <laughs> spending way too much enjoying his married life and, and um, the beautiful foods of Montreal. And um, <laughs> there's a part of me that wants to say something, but that's not my job. Mm. And I think people have to realise it's not your job to tell somebody else what to do with their body. That's not your job. And when, you, when somebody has issues around eating, it's like everything else. It's, mm. it's a, it's a he, they have to heal by themselves. You have to give them the tools to feel confident, to heal on that. And I think we have to stop looking at this as a, as a diet. And, you know, I worked in the fitness industry for a long time. And part of the reason I left it was because of what the messages the fitness industry was sending. Well, if you don't come to class and if you can't, you know, lose those five kilos, there's something wrong with you. It's all about motivation. It's all about discipline. It's all about willpower. And that's rubbish. It's mm-hmm. just rubbish. You know, it's, it's, there's a lot more. It's, it, to me, it's the reason why we do certain things. And, and those with disordered eating, and, you know, my hand goes up as well, food was the way we dealt with our emotion, purely and simply. And until we can get to the point where we're able to deal effectively with the pain and the hurt and, and, and you know, we keep going deep all the time, you've been fantastic to work with because you just continually will go deep, um, when you can find that thing, that makes all the difference. But it's like you've got to unwind years and you're unfortunately in an industry where body is such an issue. Yes. You know, just watching Adele at the moment and all the things that are being said about her, for God's sake. Oh, my gosh. Yes, who's and every diet one? is claiming she's on it. <laughs> oh, for, oh, I mean, I just get, you know, this is a... a is, and I heard a wonderful statement about her the other day. Um, it said she is, a, is an ordinary woman with a wonderful talent. Yes. She's an ordinary woman with an extraordinary talent. Whether she's 500 kilos or 47 kilos makes no difference to her talent. And, and yes. she's reached a point in her life where she felt that's what she needed to do. And that's her business nobody else's but the media picks up with that and runs you know now Adele is looking too thin and now what's going on in Adele's life because she's got an eating disorder it's like oh for goodness sake the Absolutely. media perpetrates this rubbish 
when what we need to be doing with anybody that has disordered eating is finding their gifts and talents and allowing them to express through those. Because the biggest challenge for many people with disordered eating is their self-worth. Yes. It all comes down to valuing with how we value ourselves and how we honour our self-worth. Mm. And you saying something to somebody, I was trying to shame, all that it does, it makes it worse. It makes so, it so much worse. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and, and it's about supporting that person. You have to support that. And I know it's difficult because the, narr- the media narrative <clears throat> is thinness. That's the media narrative. But, you know, you look at some of the big guru fitness people in the world, they're naturally that shape anyway. Yes. They're, I mean, they're natural. I mean, I, I struggle with this. All my, I was, I'm five foot one and I come from a family who have, we have weight issues in our family, all of us. It, it, and, mm. you know, it's just a thing in our family. No one, we, all my family kind of get together and say, what the hell, where, where did this come from? But it's a thing. Yeah. But I'm never going to be five foot six. I'm five foot one. And I want to be the best five foot one shape I can be. And that does not mean 47 kilos, let me tell you. That means I'm healthy, I'm energetic, I feel strong. um, I've got, I'm focused, I can tackle, you know, big projects. I can, you know, I can walk to the beach. I can do, you know, 20 push-ups in a row. To me, that's the measure of strength. And we have to stop talking in terms of thinness. That is not, as we said before, Yes. That is not a measure of health. Absolutely. Right now, around the world, people have to be focused on their immune system. You Mm -hmm. have to be looking at foods that, you know, reduce inflammation. You have to be filling your body full of good, healthy food wherever it comes. That's where the focus needs to be. And Mm -hmm. thinness doesn't mean your immune system's good. No, absolutely. And it's funny how you bring up Adele because I think she definitely... Um, it's created such uproar because she was almost, people made her, almost like people would say about Marilyn Monroe, Marilyn was huge, she was a size 16, she was not, she was freaking tiny, I've seen her dress, her waist was minuscule, she just had proportions, but with Adele, she was the poster child for a lot of women that, oh, well, it's okay for me to eat what I want and be whatever size I want, because look at Adele, she's the best-selling artist in the world, you know, and now they've lost that, so that's put them in uproar, some people aren't fans because they can't look at her anymore like that, but it brings us to this body positivity movement. And I'm yes. like, a, I always say I'm like an advocate for body positivity, but I don't mean that people often misconstrue that as, oh, well, you're an advocate for it's okay to be fat. And that's mm. not the case. It's, we always talk about body confidence and building body confidence because yes. the hardest thing for me has always been growing up as a dancer, growing up as a performer, pushed on me from day one was you have to be a certain shape and size and that's the way you must wish to look and the hardest thing for me has been to figure out well what do I want to look like what is healthy for my body what is sexy in my mind and for me fit but curvy is what I find sexy and I never realized that until we started working together (laughs) (laughs) but it's so true I mean I'd give anything to have that curvy shape I mean I'd love to have that curvy I don't have that curvy shape that's not my shape and that you think I think you put that you know it's not your shape you know and and this image we have and that's perpetrated by you know the fashion industry in particular where everybody has to look like a coat hanger and you see those girls I mean they've got their bony shoulders and they're a size six or a size four or a size two dripping wet 
they're a bony coat hanger. The, mm. the clothes have to look good on the coat hangers. That's, and, you know, you, we know the issues with eating disorders within the modelling industry, for instance, and yes. what those girls go through and the terrible, you know, where they actually are, you know, whether they're a certain weight is whether they get a job. I mean, it's so, so disordered. But, you know, I'm never going to be six foot tall. I mean, that's just not where I'm going to be. But that's no. the fashion industry has created this perfect look. Um, yes. And you talk about body positivity, and I want to I want to talk about this a little bit too. The confidence that is not standing in front of a mirror saying I love my body doesn't work. Doesn't work. It, I mean, I'm not. There's not a woman I know alive who stands who can stand in the body. I love. And men do it all the time. Uh, you know, I look great, and off they go. They don't care what they look like. But women go, oh, you can. And I think that's a real misnomer that we force them to, women to they think they have to love their body. I don't think mm. you accept it. Mm. You accept this is my body shape and I'm going to make it the best body shape I can. But loving your body puts so much pressure on people. And it's really important, you know, for me, for, for getting underneath all that is, is understanding how you, and Brene Brown calls it courageous authenticity, mm. for you to be courageously, authentically yourself. And authenticity is a verb, not a noun. It's a doing thing. It's mm. something where you do. You show up every day as your authentic self. That's attractive to me. That's to me is when a woman can show up as her absolutely courageously authentic self, and that's something we do every single day. We, we, we choose to not go down that track of being sold, you know, I, I say, you know, sold and told what we should look like. Instead is to I'm courageously authentically myself. And I and and my health is my health is my responsibility. I choose to deal with my emotions in a positive way, and I'm not going to stuff them down any longer. I'm going to speak my truth. To me, that's true body confidence and body positivity. Yes. The shift comes. It's not what your body looks like. It's what you express through it. The who you are. You know, I see this all the time, and you probably too. There are people who walk into a room, and I know you, I've seen you do this too. You walk into a room and people go, oh, my, you're just drawn to you because yeah. you do, you're walking with this kind of energy, this vibe. I mean, that to me is what we all should be doing mm. because you do that when you are 100% authentically yourself. Now, yes. we, you and I have talked about this, a study that was done at the Heart Math Institute, Institute in Los Angeles, and they measured heart resonance. Um, do you know how if you walk into a room and people have been arguing and they stop talking, you go, whoa, you can actually yes. feel the energy? Yes. When you, your heart resonance, what you think and believe about yourself resonates out about three feet from you, about a metre. Hmm. So people will say things like, wow, you look so good today. What they're picking up on is how you're feeling. They're mm -hmm. picking up on that energy. So you can have all, you can be the size you are, you, you know, you can be all dressed up, but if you don't like yourself, if you're upset about something, if you're carrying anxiety, if you're feeling shame because you're overweight, that's the energy they pick up too. Yes. So it's whatever energy you push out, that's positive body positivity and body confidence to me it starts with your heart absolutely and you know I'm a great believer you know that the what I work with is um is we release the pain of the people the words and events of our past to give the body permission to release the weight that no longer serves you emotionally first and then physically 
Mm-hmm. So when you when you re- learn to release the weight that no longer serves you, because we, we have weight for a reason, it makes us feel safe normally, protected. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we get to the bottom of that and, and the weight, the, the body let, will let it go. It's got nothing to do with food <laughs> because when you feel yes. good about yourself, you're not trying to stuff down the emotion. So it's like this constant, you know, I do the, I now allow myself to eat anything I want. Mm. And now I'll allow myself to eat anything I want, you know, not what I need, not what I'm told. No. What does my body really feel like? And that's that connection to the head and the heart. No, no fat grams, no micro, none of that. And then the next part is I choose to honour those messages without judgment. Choose to honour those messages without judgment. And the last one is, well, how does this make my body feel? Because your body will tell you, if you talk about I'm allergic to dairy, shouldn't lactose, <laughs> your body will tell you. It tells you, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it tells you. And you go, oh, oh. Yeah. And then the choice becomes not what I shouldn't, shouldn't eat becomes how do I want to feel? Absolutely. Because if you don't have that body positivity and body confidence, you don't connect with the feeling that food is. But when you're feeling really good about yourself, you go, you know what, I don't want to eat that cheese because I know the next day I'm going to feel horrible. I'm like that with gluten and dairy. Yes. And the, it just becomes easy for me. I don't want to feel like that tomorrow. So mm-hmm. it's not a, I'm not restricting, it's a choice. I, you know, I will eat sometimes and somebody's made a really nice sourdough bread and you smell it as you walk past the bake, you're like, oh, whatever. Yes. And the next day you go, oh, I knew I shouldn't have done that. But that's what that's all about. It's not about, it's like get really in touch with how food makes your body feel and your body will always give you the messages if you learn. And, you know, how can you be intuitive and trust yourself in anything else if the one thing you can't trust your own body on your own self is food absolutely but you see that denial that constant pulling apart means that you can't listen to your intuition you, sh- you turn it off yes. so and and we have this wonderful innate you know gps it's called our intuition and i often call this the last frontier for many women it's like if you can solve this everything else in your life just flows into action and vice versa often when you put everything else in your life being courageously authentic this goes away as well so it works in conjunction just so happens for people like us Mm. it happens to be food is our is our thing yeah that's the vice and and it's funny because I had always lived with this message of like I'll love myself when I lose weight oh blah 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 Mm. and now I'm and I was always putting out that energy like you said that resonance and I would always be like why don't my friends, like no one else I know has anyone constantly coming up to them saying, oh, you've gained weight. Oh, you look fat. Oh, such a pretty face. What a shame you're so fat. You know, it happened to me like I could write books on thousands of stories, but it was the energy I was putting out and I would react so emotionally to it. And our work together has helped me to not go and cry my eyes out, and you know, hide in the cupboard and filled with shame. And But now your, your work has actually helped me to feel a lot um, more confident in myself, a lot more sane. Um, it's given me a lot of my power back and it's made me feel a lot lighter. 
which Mm -hmm. interestingly enough is the title of your new book, which I Mm -hmm. have to share about this personality quiz that um, you've got on your website as an intro to your book, which has been a game changer for me. As you know, unbelievable. Just the last couple of weeks, I took this test and it's a four personality test. Am I right? Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. And my personality was, you can share. <laughs> was the peacemaker. Now, what was really interesting when you told me, I went, I would never have picked, oh, that makes all the sense in the world. Mm-hmm. Like it was just literally I, w- I would not have picked you as that, but then, oh, it made all the sense in the world. It just, it just, And I'm sure you must have felt it because I went, that's why she does this and that's why this is such a big issue because a peacemaker needs security in their lives. They have a strong need for security and they're very loyal, dependable people. And so uh, a peacemaker often keeps everything, they always have, yeah, very close to their heart. Um, But interesting enough, peacemakers are usually the ones who who really struggle with emotional eating because Mm. they often can't, don't feel comfortable to speak their truth. They're yes. the people pleaser. They want the, that's what they call peacemakers. They want everybody to be happy. I'll just do whatever you want to make you happy, and I'll not say anything. And because peacemakers don't like confrontation at all, no. So they will go over the top to make sure everybody else is happy, and then they're very depleted. Usually, peacemakers are often depleted in energy because they're so busy making sure everybody and you know is everybody happy and am I, and especially in your career. Uh, someone who's a performer, that would be playing in your mind. Am I doing it up? Am I, you know, like that's that detailed perfection, uh, you know, that um, attention to detail is very important for you. Mm. And as a peacemaker, you take a long time to make a decision. You take a while, but when you do, it's like I'm locked into that decision now. Um, but that was a really interesting part. So there's, there's four aspects. One is the achiever and um, achievers are, people have a strong need for um, self-recognition. So they're people who like to keep achieving. Um, They're always setting goals for themselves, always doing something. However, they're also the most critical and self-judgmental people in the whole of this personality profile. So they're perfectionists and they will hold themselves back. They won't start to do something. They need to be achieving. They need to see – they'll set a big, huge goal that's often unrealistic and when they don't Mm -hmm. achieve it, they turn inwards on themselves. Really? the socialisers, they're our people people. They love to party. They're great people to have an event. People love them because they're, mm-hmm. they're great conversationalists. Um, they're good networkers. They get their, their energy from social interaction. So this lockdown we've been in has been particularly hard on my socialisers because they're really yes. struggling with this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but their biggest issue is they can set a goal to do something, uh, but if the, a social event comes up, they go, oh, Sorry, I'm off to that. They'll, they'll, you know, have all these, I'm going to eat really well this week. Oh, I'm going, someone's asked me for coffee and cake and away they go. That's their biggest challenge. And mm-hmm. also socialisers too have a, have a, they are also people pleasers and they, they want to make people happy so they can often not speak their truth as well. And the last one are competitors and um, they're the people who have strong need for self-fulfilment. And they're, the, they're usually very driven people, hardworking, um, very often don't have a great deal of good people skills. They're difficult people to work with because they have ideas coming to them all hours of the day and night and can't understand why other people, like peacemakers, need time to think things through. Their biggest issue is stress. 
they're often the types of people that are either so health conscious that they drive everybody crazy because they're so particular yeah. or, or the totally opposite and they'll just they just eat everything you know nothing nothing's off limits to them stress is their biggest issue they they often have issues around heart uh, issues um, gut issues um, anything that's sort of that tension driven issues because they they are constantly wanting to um, go to the next level it's the, the good thing about the personality profile is what it does is help as you did helps you understand why you do things oh blows your mind even I just never saw myself <laughs> as that and it really has changed everything for me because now ever since I did the test I'm looking at everything I do going oh, I am a people pleaser Oh my God, I am everything I say, like so many things that come out of my mouth. It's keep the waters still, don't rock the boat. And it has really helped me to understand why I do things. And like they say, awareness is the first step to moving forward, isn't it? And acceptance. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I just love it from my perspective because when I'm working with clients now, if I understand their personality, we can create processes like not everybody needs this. For instance, an achiever would, you know, quite happy to, to, to um, work out and you know, like to listen to podcasts while they're doing it, like to work out with people as long as their standards are really high. Socialisers, for instance, no good setting them a task to walk on their own or do weights. They need a class, you know, a, a gym class, a dance class. They love the social interaction. Peacemakers, like, they're methodical. They like uh, dance, Pilates, um, where they can learn things over and over again. They hate being put on the spot if this if they're done something wrong. Yeah, because that's where, oh, that, just, oh. so they're very methodical and often hold themselves back. And competitors are just they need they're the ones with a you know high need for competitive sports and marathons and anything you know. Although my competitors who do nothing go <laughs> marathons as if, <laughs> but they love you know when you go back and look at their as children, they love the highly competitive sports. They've just stopped playing them. So when you're setting up processes, you've got to work with your personality type. You, you know, most people are not going to do things, and, and that's the whole thing about it. It's about mm. keeping your motivation levels high, your energy levels high. So for me, yes. for instance, as a coach working with people, and I say to a socialiser, you need to go for a walk every morning, and they go, I don't, I, I, it's boring. Yeah. Oh, no, I know you're a socialiser. You need to go and join a group group class or grab some friends and go for a walk and they'll, they'll often mm. keep walking because they love the conversation. So yes. it, it's like, so when you're setting a task for yourself, you think, you know, everybody says I should be doing this particular exercise, but bores me to tears. Well, that's because it's not suited to your personality type. Exactly. So when you understand that, you go, oh, okay. So for me, for instance, as an achiever, I, you know, I often, when I, when I work out, I've got to have a goal to aim for. So I'm mm. always setting these challenges. And right now it's Pilates, even though I don't particularly like working out my Pilates, for instance, works really because you can see yourself achieving every day. It gets a little bit better each day. Mm. Um, and so that's what achievers need. That's something that they're kind of constantly aiming for. It's just fun. You know, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not about anything else other than just figuring out what makes you stay motivated and yes. energised. And, and why we do things like eat, you know, um, a peace and advocate like you, um, when, if you're struggling with emotional eating, it's because you can't speak your truth. Yeah. You, you, you're trying to make everybody happy so you don't speak your truth. You push everything down. Achievers yes. like me, if I can't see um, a change happening quickly, I'm like, this doesn't work. I'm out of here. I'm done enough. <laughs> so we, there's self-sabotage. So yes. it's like when you understand that, you go, oh, that's why I'm doing that. Okay, so what do I need to do now? How do I need to fix that? Put those processes into place and the way it goes. 
Well, the best part about it I found for me was after doing the test and buying the book was that I got all these bonus videos that have come in so handy. So they're short videos. Um, I would say tapping scripts, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, tap- and there was yes, one there right. that I need, like self-sabotage. Um, you can explain a little bit more about um, what the bonus videos are, but I just absolutely love them. They're such a great handy tool to have when I don't have a session scheduled with you. I can just be like... <gasps> I need this. Help me now, Sally. Sally. Yeah, so we've got, Sally we've got one <laughs> Procrastination, stress, self-sabotage. And I think procrastination is a big thing for many people to understand why they're procrastinating. We, we tend to get very down on ourselves for procrastinating. There's always a reason for procrastination. It's got nothing to do with laziness. Yes. Nothing. In my experience, procrastination is fear of success. In my really? experience. In most cases procrastination is fear of success and so it can be fear of failure as well but usually it's fear of success Mm. so you then use the EFT around it to figure out okay what am I fearful of success and again it comes back to vulnerability and value and worth and Mm. um, in my experience most people that I work with it's fear of success not fear of failure that's that's the biggest sabotager Um, and because what happens with the fear of success, the um, self-imposter syndrome comes up. Who do I think I am? What makes me think I can do this? What right do I have to be? And all my women, all, all, all my women, as they get to this level of success, like they're seeing it, they're almost there, you know, maybe they're making 50,000 more this year than they made last year or they're just about to write that book or, you know, people come to me about their weight and do a whole heap of other things or they're just about to launch the business, bam. Up comes the imposter syndrome, up comes because it's the vulnerability. It's like you're finally moving into the space where you're being courageously authentic yourself, mm-hmm. the real you, and that's scary. Absolutely. That's- yes, there's that quote that, oh, I absolutely love it. It's out of that movie, Coach Carter, and has always stuck with me and rings so true. What is it? Uh, my greatest fear is not that I'm inadequate. My greatest fear is that I'm powerful beyond measure. And it's all about Absolutely. letting your own light shine. And that's what terrifies people. What if I do get successful and I can't handle it? Well, and because a whole heap of things have to change when you're successful. Mm. Number one is <laughs> failure becomes more public. And yes. it's a lot easier for us to fail privately. We'll pull back, oh, this happened or that happened or I couldn't. So we fail privately. Failing publicly is a very shameful thing to do and no one wants to do it. So we pull back. But also it brings up all those things you were told as a child. Who do you think you are? What makes you think you're so special? Don't go being so smart. All those things. And then especially around the teenage years where, you know, around about sort of 14, 15-year-old where your friends would say, oh, you don't, what makes you think you look pretty? This is you. And, you know, all that stuff. about, And there, lots of stuff laid down in there. And that's all that happens. And that's what EFT does. It releases the emotional connection to a past memory. Because all that, as you're getting more successful, it goes, oh, 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 I remember that time that they made fun of me and maybe I'm not good. When we tap, we re- so you remember it, but you're like, oh, no big deal. And who were they anyway? They're nobody. You know, I mean, one of the things I think I love in particular about working with you and some of the other people that I've worked with, when we go back and look at all the bully girls, mm-hmm. the cool girls, they're doing nothing. <laughs> they're doing nothing. <laughs> That is so true. 
Yes. Yeah, and, and so many of those girls were mean like that. I mean, because of their own insecurity. They didn't believe they were good enough either and they turned it on the person that they thought was, you know, going to be better than them. And, uh, but, yeah, and, and it all comes down, everything comes down to the courageous authenticity, yes, value and worth, and tapping, using tapping. And, you know, in, in the bonuses we've got tapping on um, uh, the craving for bread and for um, – uh, chocolate and for I think bread chocolate and chips I think worked out in there and that that's all about getting underneath what the food actually means what it, what it's trying to represent it's food speaking for me that I can't speak for myself and uh, I mean and the book is all about I mean it's it's sort of 30 years of of this journey that I've been on and you know as I said you know my driving factor was that I don't want girls now to have to live through what we went through yes. I, I don't think there'd be a woman my age with daughters who wouldn't say this exactly the same thing. We don't want our daughters to have to have gone through this. When I think of all, I could probably, I don't know, calculate over 400,000 hours of wasted thoughts on how I looked and what fat and should I eat this and I'm feeling that. I mean, really, we could save, solve world peace. We could come up with a cure for COVID. If we stop the, you know, we could do great yeah. things, but our minds continually go that 20,000 odd negative thoughts a day about ourselves we have every single day and when we stop that um everything changes mm. i totally agree and i feel like that's why i have decided to empower myself and speak out about the struggles that i'm having because i've been a slave to these issues and this i guess disordered eating and disordered body image and self-shame and struggles for 12 years now I don't want to continue on to have a family and, and pass this on to my kids. And I think by speaking out publicly about it, we can actually help other people not to go through it. Absolutely. And the more, and, you know, I think you have a really powerful role to play in this, this way we change because, you know, we need people like you to, to say to others, you know what, you can be successful at any body shape. It's got nothing to do with your talent, your success, the way you love, the way you – it's got nothing to do with it. But we've got so hung up on the media narrative, and that's all it is. It's a media narrative about mm -hmm. what supposedly the perfect shape. And, you know, I, I just think we, we, the only way to change it is to change it within us. It's the only way you can change it. You can't, you can't expect them to change. We continue to buy the magazines and we continue to watch the models and we continue to do all the other things. That's we're continually buying into it. So uh, more people like you, Cass, really do need to step up and say, there's more to life than this. There sure is. There sure is. And thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to be... Um, you know, sharing my journey with you. Now we have come to the end of the session, but I do have three quick questions for you that we always end okay. with. Um, yep. So speaking of empowerment, I feel empowered when I speak my truth. And I, you know, this is making me feel empowered because I know I'm helping other people. So this is why I'm doing this new series. I would like to ask you, when do you feel most empowered? Well, probably similar to you, um, I feel empowered when I see my clients just doing extraordinary things with their lives, you know, launching books or um, uh, starting new businesses. You know, they come to me about weight and end up doing so many other wonderful things because once that changes, it just frees them up to do. So that's really, you know, when I, and I, I wake up every morning so grateful, like I just, 
I'm so grateful to work with such extraordinary people like you. You know, to me, that's an absolute gift. If my, I remember doing a reason why I do what I do and it's so the rest of my life had made sense. And that's to be able to impart that experience to others and make, make others see that or not help others see that. To me, that's, that's how I feel empowered. Well, you're definitely, I think, living your destiny right now. Definitely, I see big waves still in the future, so I'm excited to watch. But um, I would like to know, what is something that is left on your bucket list? (laughs) Um, When you sent me this question, I'm like, what's on my bucket list? Oh, I'm an achiever. It has to be something about my business. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I I would really, I'd love... um, you know, I've had an Amazon best-selling book. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'd really like a New York Times best-selling book. Um, that would be my my bucket list, I think. Um, and uh, you know, that makes my heart sing um, to do something that will make a difference. So that's about that's my bucket list. I couldn't think of anything else. <laughs> I think that's um, a pretty amazing bucket list, Jardim. <laughs> no shame in that one. I think it's definitely on the way. And first thing people can do is go onto your website and buy your book lighter. That's out now, right? It's still on the online version at the moment, so people can buy it and download it straight onto their Kindle. So if they want to go and do the quiz, um, they can have read more about it there. I highly recommend it. All right, final question. Uh, if you could go back to your 15-year-old self, what would you tell her now? Oh, don't cry over boys. <laughs> They're not so worth true. it. <laughs> don't cry over boys. I would also tell her, you know, that what people love most about you is who you are. That's what they love most about you. And that do what you love to do. Don't listen to anybody else. Don't listen to what people tell you. There's no future in whatever. Do what you love. You know, my mother was a beautiful woman. She passed away many years ago now. And she was really a lovely, very nurturing person. And I wanted to go to NIDA when I was 15. And... And she said, that's not a job. Mm-hmm. Now, I know where she was coming from because it's not a job. <laughs> there is, as you know, in your family, being involved in the, in the um, film and television industry, it's not <laughs> it up and down. And that's what she was trying to say. You get something yeah. behind you. But they took that forward as, oh, I mustn't be very good at it. So mm-hmm. I would say do what you love. You'll find what you love, who you are. You'll find things you do by doing what you love, study what you love, um, but, yeah, don't cry over any boy. That's just silly. <laughs> <laughs> if only it were that easy. But, yes, <laughs> it all, when you're 15, feels like, no, this is the one. <laughs> this is the one. What did I see recently? A boy should mess up your lipstick, not your mascara. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> all right, that needs to be my new motto in life. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, yep. If he, if, he, if he makes you cry, he's not worth it. Absolutely. <laughs> if he calls you fat, he's also not worth it. <laughs> not worth, uh, don't, gone. 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 And he's not going to change. If he judges yeah. you now, he's never, I don't think he's going to, you know, that, that you know, <laughs> you can, like it'll be with him for a long time. Make sure you like yes. it and he treats you well. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for your time, Sally, and for your continued guidance and investment in me and my career so I thank you so much could you please just let everyone know the best place to find you if they want to work with you if they want to watch your Facebook live show as well yes so uh, I have a Facebook live every Saturday morning um, Queensland time 
um, in what I call the Living Lighter Facebook group, but people can access that through my Facebook page. My website is www.sallytibault.com.au and access the quizzes on the front page of the website or just forward slash QUIZ and they can access the quiz to find out who they are uh, and what makes their heart sing and where they get their energy and motivation. Make a huge difference. Oh, it made a huge difference to me. My life is forever changed for the better. You've helped me through so much. So thank you for your time today, Sally. And I look forward to hopefully doing another session with you in the future for everyone. Oh, thank you, Cass. It's just a delight to work with you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Sally. Bye. You're still here. Thank you so much for sticking around until the very end. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. I hope that this shows you a little bit about how what you see on social media is not always the full story and we all have our own demons that we battle behind the scenes. So if you struggle with eating, let us know your story in the comments down below. And if you have more things that you'd like me to share on these topics, let me know. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel and follow me on Instagram, Facebook at Cassidy La Creme so you don't miss any updates. Now go, spread some love to the women around you. And most importantly, don't forget to show a little love to yourself. If you don't, who else will? I'm Cassidy LaCreme. I'm sending you so much love and always know you are never alone. See you next time.